Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. I want to discuss religion and what is religion and even if there is a possibility of separating out religion from culture. Let me start with some quotations to get at the the problem. This is from Ludwig Feuerbach in his lectures on the essence of religion. He says, theology is anthropology. In other words, the object of religion, which in Greek we call theos, and in our language God, expresses nothing other than the essence of man. Man's God is nothing other than the deified essence of man. So that the history of religion, or what amounts to the same thing, of God, for the gods are as varied as the religions, and the religions are as varied as mankind, is nothing other, religion is nothing other than the history of man, Ludwig Feuerbach. Now, of course, Feuerbach is advocating an atheistic understanding in our first inclination if we are religious, may be to reject this, but uh, let's think about it for a minute and consider if we want to completely reject it. He begins with the notion, theology is anthropology. The idea that in our theological understanding, there is as much understanding of what human beings are as there is a notion of God. And of course, the varieties of religion and belief systems points to the reality of this. So if someone just wanted to affirm religion per se as over against irreligion, it would be hard to say what that religion is because it consists of you know, deities or non-deities. I think that even a Christian, that we can in fact recognize that idolatrous religion, a religion that arises in most human societies, is simply what Feuerbach is describing. It is simply a projection. And of course, Feuerbach's understanding is going to be taken up by Freud, even though he himself, I I wouldn't say he's anti-religious, but he is an atheist. But Feuerbach is definitely anti-religious. But Freud will develop an understanding of how the human mind, the human psyche is shaped by a particular religious understanding, or vice versa, in fact, that a religious understanding is the byproduct of human projections, projections of the Father onto God. We'll return to this, and so I think that in a sense, even as, again, the idea of a God-shaped mind, that in neurotheology, in my own field, you know, psychotheology, There is definitely the idea that human psyche and theological understanding are intermixed. Now, the problem is, if you believe that there are two things, two kinds of religion, that there is a religion that is the projection of man, and then there is religion that is in a revelation, then how would you distinguish these two things? And I think you can, and and it should be done. I don't think that just uh, the affirmation of religion per se is what stands behind Christianity. Now let me give you another quote. This is from Merkia Iliade. I'm never quite sure if I'm saying his name right. 
and this is from his text Shamanism. And Iliade is the father of modern religious studies. And so in the university today, if you go study world religions, it will probably be due to the influence of Iliad. Uh, here is the quote. Although the historical conditions are extremely important in a religious phenomena, for every human datum is in the last analysis a historical datum, they do not wholly exhaust it. And all these dreams, myths, and nostalgias cannot be exhausted by a psychological explanation. There is always a kernel that remains, refractory to explanation. And this indefinable, irreducible element perhaps reveals the situation of man in the cosmos. A situation that we shall never tire of repeating is not solely historical. This stands over and against the quote by Feuerbach. Here would be two opposed understandings. Feuerbach is going to say that religion is simply the development, historical development of humans, that, it's, that religion evolves as human beings create it. Iliad is saying that religion is beyond this. Dreams, myths are not exhausted, he says, by either a psychological explanation nor a historical explanation. And so he wants to say that religion per se arises from something that is sui generis, that is something that's a cause that is indefinable, irreducible, that gives rise to religion. That is, there's a religious experience, and this religious experience gives rise to religion. Now, the reason this would give, uh, you know, be the impetus to religious studies in the university is that it's saying that religion is something apart from simply psychology or simply history. That is, if religion is reducible, well, then you can just study it in them as a part of psychology or a part of the history department or part of anthropology. But religious studies have actually, and, and this has caused a crisis too in religious studies, because Iliad's point that, that this is something apart, but then the thing that is apart, if it's indefinable, irreducible, how do you study it? It is precisely for this reason that some departments of religion in several major universities have been shut down because they could not say precisely what it is that they were studying. Now this next quotation comes from Peter L. Berger, and Berger is writing in the sacred canopy and describing religion then in terms of anthropology. Whatever may be the ultimate merits of religious explanations of the universe at large, their empirical tendency has been to falsify man's consciousness of that part of the universe shaped by his own activity, namely the socio-cultural world. This falsification can also be described as mystification. The socio-cultural world is an edifice of human meanings, is overlaid with mysteries posited as non-human in their origins. Now, if you were to compare Iliad and Berger, they're saying again, 
something quite different, that Berger is claiming that culture itself, the very socio-cultural world, is dependent upon a, a kind of transcendent, a false transcendent, that maybe like Feuerbach is projected, but it's a necessary projection. He describes this then in three stages, that you externalize you reify what is externalized and then you internalize it. That it's a, a process that is shaping, it's a circular process that's shaping the society and the individual. Let me come back to that though. So we have three views of religion. That religion is sui generis. Certain portions of human culture and experience are somehow distinct from history, from psychology, and the primary vehicle for uh, articulating this is religion and the notion that religion is sui generis. Uh, that is, that the, these experiences, or it is its own cause. It belongs to its own unique category. So in this, you know, you would get Rudolf Otto, you would get the idea, Roger Schmidt describes that religion is a human seeking and responding to what is experienced as holy. Holy meaning in the formal definition of holy, something apart. It is a set of beliefs, practices, and social structures grounded in a people's experience of what they regard as ultimately real and that accommodate their emotional, intellectual, and social needs. Again, there is room for a variety of religions in that the sui generis experience then may be accommodated by these people in different ways. The problem here that we've stated that this understanding means that religion is free of social, economic, or political interference. And very often, I'm afraid this is the way we think of religion, that it is uh, something apart from the normal social economic interchange in society. And yet one's ethics, one's values are grounded in this inherent structure of reality. And it's certainly not historical, whatever else it is. You know, the question that's ar arisen in regard to religious studies is that the historical and empirical methods with which you would study religion that they are only going to reveal to you something beneath or below what you imagine is the sui generis thing. You have a methodology that is historically conditioned and inherently limited, and you're studying an ahistorical essence. There's the contradiction, or there's the problem at least. And I think as a Christian, we might want to question, is this definitive of human experience? I think our tendency will be to almost agree with this, forgetting the nature of the incarnation that Christ has come to us historically, that Christ has revealed himself through a socio-cultural historical setting, precisely because that seems to be what we are. In other words, if we were capable of receiving this sui generis experience free of context, this means that the very mode in which Christ has come, or the very mode of Christian revelation, 
there is a question thrown up around it, or at least there would be the idea that, well, Christianity is just like all other religions in that, well, there is all this historical stuff, but the main essence is all historical. Well, that, that seems to be a very denial of the importance of, of Christ's coming. The historical minimalization characteristic of this discourse represents human beings not almost as if they're something other than social, economic, political beings. And this is reflected in a Christianity that imagines that Christ is not political, or the church is not social, or that it's apart from economics. That is, I'm afraid that our failed understanding of religion or a notion of religion as some sort of universal shared experience has shaped our understanding of Christianity more than our Christianity has shaped our religious understanding, which might be sound strange, but this is the idea that the church is, well, how are you saved? Are you saved apart from a society of the saved? Are you saved apart from the body of Christ? Are you saved apart from the political statement that Jesus is Lord? Are you saved apart from an economy of forgiveness, mercy, and grace that is not simply an otherworld economy, but it is to be shaped the shaping force in this world's economy? It's not just that these questions can be raised in regard to Christianity. Is Hinduism free of socio-political, cultural understandings. You know, think of the caste system, the untouchables, the Brahmins, the, is Buddhism, and, you know, Buddhism may, in fact, claim this sort of sui generis understanding, but when you, of course, when you get into Buddhism, you have the same problem that arises in Hinduism. And you can just go through the various religions, and to posit the notion that there is some sort of sui generis experience that exceeds historical boundaries, I think is a misunderstanding. Think of biblical idolatry. It is so much attached to the political, the social, the cultural, that the various nations would be known by their idols, and the idols would be the identifying marker. So that we need to raise the question, is religion, can we extract it, even Christianity, can we extract it from a socio-cultural political context? And if we answer it can, then we have a huge problem as to why Christ came. Now, in the, the second understanding, Peter Berger's understanding, actually the third understanding, religion is as a world construction. Berger says that every human society is an enterprise of world building, and religion occupies a distinctive place in this enterprise. That is, he's saying that religion is necessary to culture. It's necessary to positing the working, you know, he, this is the reason he calls it the sacred canopy. The sacred canopy keeps human society and culture functioning. It's tied into every part of society. And so he says that society is a dialectic phenomena in that it is a human product. And again, Berger, there's a bit of tension in Berger because he himself is a practicing Christian. 
and he recognized later that he in some way had not made room for his own faith because that he says religion is nothing but a human product that yet continuously acts back upon its producer. Society, he says, is a product of man. It has no other being except that which is bestowed upon it by human activity and consciousness. There can be no social reality apart from man, yet it may also be stated that man is a product of his society. And so the, you know, the externalization, the objectification, the internalization is continually creating and acting back upon human beings. If you think of this process in terms of an idol, it may be easy to understand externalization. You know, you're out the outpouring of the human being in the world that in some way you reify that. The human being, both in the physical and the mental activity of man, is projected, it's externalized. And of course, part of what is being described here, we often may think of humans as primarily understood from an interior perspective, as if we're closed in some sphere of interiority. The idea is that, no, that who we are is continually being expressed and reabsorbed into who we are. So there's the externalization, and then you objectify, you know, whether it's mental or physical, or another way I think you could say this, is that you reify. That is, that you project it, and then you make it, you make it as if you didn't make it. Think of the, the idolater sawing the log in two, shaping the idol, turning to eat his lunch, and then turning back and bowing down and worshiping the thing that he had just made, there is a obscuring of the origins of the, what is made. And I think that's part of what's happening in the second step, that the thing is made an object separate from. And almost, in other words, in Berger's explanation, this would be the place that sui generis religion would be arise from. He's, he's saying that you need uh, an objectified, reified understanding, but that doesn't mean that it's a reality. He's just saying that that's part of the, you making it a fact external to yourself, and so this is a necessary step in the process. And then in the internalization, you reappropriate this, you know, this reality and you transform it once again from the structures of the objective world into the structures of the subjective consciousness. So it's continually acting back upon structuring who you are. And so this is what society is always in the business of doing, but the religion is the sacred or the numinous that's the stabilizing aspect there is an eternalizing you know that in some way provides a foundation for human culture the sacred or the numinous is externalized projected onto the skies upon i'm just referencing burger here upon persons natural objects and thus you need shamans sacred groves springs to in some way come into contact with this externalized, eternalized thing. So the externalized sacred objects acquire a status 
you know, like in magic, incantation, uh, worship, and this is Berger's understanding. And he's, his point is that society is always in the business of manufacturing religion, and that religion is continually evolving in this process, so that man must forever be creating a social order as man, he, he believes, is not guided by instinct. To be oneself, one must occupy a place in the social order. And this order, there first of all has to be an order, and so human beings continually project, objectify, and internalize the order that they require. And Berger then talks about you know, what happens when there is a crisis, when the canopy is no longer functioning and religion falls into, the canopy is, is torn. This a little bit, you know, the, the view that we have not raised here is that of Rene Girard. We'll talk about Girard later. I think Girard very much fits into Berger's picture. Girard would also say that religion is necessary to society to in some way channel the violence. Basic questions here that arise from these three views. Uh, in a, uh, does religion change? Does religion evolve? Is religion connected to the socio-cultural dynamism of society? Um, or is religious religion static? And I think our tendency, you know, with Eliad is to picture religion as sort of a static, frozen entity that we're always perhaps using uh, uh, the idea of, of arriving at this, this thing that does not change through what changes. Uh, the problem with Berger, you know, in a world of socio-historical relativity, can you find any standpoint from which to make cognitively valid statements about religious matters? That is, if we're all involved in this process, how can you in any way uh, talk about a sociological understanding of religion because you yourself are absorbed into it. Um, maybe from a biblical perspective, uh, the, you know, if you think in terms of a sui generis understanding, the actual object of study is never attained. Maybe there, you know, this is Rudolf Otto's The, 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 the Holy. And maybe there is a Christianity that in some way is focused then upon the apophatic, upon the mysterious. Um, and the opposite would be true in religion as a social construct. Uh, of course, there really is no true transcendent and, and there's no clear place for a sociology of religion or a Christian theology sociology and Christian theology to meet. So, you know, this is uh, James McClendon question. Is it sociology when one sees religion as world maintenance, but theology when one notes a major exception to this view of religion's human role, an exception in which God persistently overturns most human religion? Berger, 
has written subsequently and tried to, you know, a rumor of angels, he's tried to make room for his own Christian understanding. We'll, uh, we'll finish this, we'll take this apart, but here are the, I think, the three basic views that we can have of religion. That it's simply a projection of human beings, or maybe we could say that it's sometimes a projection of human beings. And in this understanding, uh, I suppose that you would think of a uni uh, uh, unified understanding because the projection may take on cer certain characteristics. Then there is the sui generis understanding that it is, and by sui generis the idea that it is in some way partaking of an absolute truth that also then would think of, you know, would look for the, a unifying factor. And then there is the sacred canopy understanding, the sociological understanding. And of course, what we've not talked about here is, as a Christian, how would we view these three things? And do we see Christianity as fitting in part some of these things, or is in fact Christianity an alternative? Thank you for listening to this episode of Forging Plowshares. You can learn more and join our growing community by visiting forgingplowshares.org. Please consider supporting at patreon.com slash paulaxton or by donating at forgingplowshares.org slash donate.